Yeah, it's been said, God's mercies are new every morning simply because we need them every morning. Today, we take a look at what it means to remember. Join us, Graceful Truth, coming your way next. From Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, this is Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. Greetings in Christ and welcome to our broadcast. Today, we're continuing with our series we began last week, simply entitled, A Reminder to Remember. We're in 2 Peter, taking a look at chapter 1, verses 12 through 15 today. And we're looking at what it means to remember and what we are to remember why it's important to continually remember what God has done for us, who God is, and who we are in Christ Jesus. Join us for a very encouraging look as we try and stimulate our remembering side of our brain. Here's Pastor Steve Converse with today's broadcast. Verse 18 and 19. He says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Verse 19, and if you forget, look at this, if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I, God, solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. That's a very, very strong word of warning to God's people. I want you to know that God is interested in us being successful in our Christian living. He wants us to go to the next level. He wants us to mature in Christ. He wants us to know more about Him. But He also doesn't want us to forget some very basic truths. Look over at Jeremiah chapter 3. When we think of the word remember, this text pops up in my mind because it, it talks basically about Israel and Judah. And if, if you know anything about this, basically the people went into the land and it seemed that everything was going okay for quite a while. They were under the judges and, and those judges basically were good. They were godly men who, who led the nation of Israel. And then what they decide? Well, you know what? Other, other countries have a king. We want a king. We want a king. We want a king. And so they got a king. Who was their king? Saul, right? Poor excuse for a king, but he, that's what God gave him. And then there was David. And then there was David's wise son, Solomon. So they started off kind of poor, but it got a little better. But you know what? After Solomon, the kingdom of Israel split. You had the northern kingdom and you had the southern kingdom. You had two kingdoms now because they had issues. The kingdom of Israel was in the north. And the kingdom of Judah, as we know it, was in the south. There was 10 of the 12, 12 tribes. 10 tribes went with Israel. Two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, went in the south. And immediately, the northern tribes of Israel began to just kind of, just flagrantly go into idolatry, immorality. And by the year 722 B.C., the northern kingdom had taken, was, was taken themselves into Captivity, And that kingdom never returned from that captivity. The only reason some of them got out was because they, they kind of made a headway for the southern kingdom. Because they didn't like what was going on in the north. 
So it's very important that Jeremiah come and share with them some importances of reminding them, Judah, what happened up north. He's trying to save a remnant here. He's pointing to, to Judah and Benjamin. He's saying, hey, don't forget what the guys did up, up north. And while Jeremiah is prophesying, Israel has already gone into captivity. They're already kind of a lost cause up north. They've already broken that whole situation. Judah, on the other hand, had at least a couple good kings. But from the time of that divided kingdom, there wasn't one righteous king ever in the history of the northern kingdom of Israel. Not one. And so they were just gone. They were given over to their own desire. They were doing whatever they want. And so... The southern kingdom should be able to look, and this is out in full view of everyone. I mean, the southern kingdom saw what was happening to Israel, the northern tribes. They saw it clearly. And they knew why it was happening, because they were being disobedient to God. God was really giving the south a graphic lesson of what happens when you don't bother to heed God's law. When you don't bother to do what God desires you to do. And so they... They found themselves basically at the same point that Israel did just prior to their judgment of captivity. They're disobedient, they're rebellious, they're indifferent, they're hypocritical, they're immoral, they're idolatrous, and they're right themselves, the southern kingdom, right on that edge of being judged. And so God sends him a remarkable man, Jeremiah. And what he wanted to do, his job from God was basically to warn them, the southern kingdom, that they were going to go the same way as the north and they didn't straighten some stuff out in their lives. Unfortunately, they didn't and they went into captivity and he sent along another prophet named Ezekiel and that's basically what happened. And so we come to Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 6. And this is just a, a, a beautiful text. Remember, he's reminding them of what happened up north. It says, The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah... Have you seen what she did, the faithless one, Israel? How she went up on every hill and under every green tree and there played the whore or the harlot? What, what, what's he saying? What is it that goes, goes up on every hill? Well, see, in Canaan, the Canaanites worshipped Baal. And so in their limited thinking, they thought the higher they get, the closer they are to their God. And so Israel just followed right in their steps. Now, what was Israel supposed to do with all the Canaanites? Right? They're supposed to wipe them out. Well, they didn't. So they're, they're reaping the fruit of their own disobedience. And so they would fall into this kind of idolat idolatrous worship. And it says in verse 7, And I thought, after she has done all this, she will return to me. This is God speaking to Judah about Israel. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. They watched the whole thing in open view. Verse 8. She saw that for all the idolatries of the faithless one Israel, I had sent her away with a decree. What's it say? Of divorce. This is God's own people. God's attitude about divorce. He says, I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. I hate divorce. It's interesting. You look at this and you wonder sometimes God has to do what he hates. He says he divorced his own people because they played the harlot. They persisted in idolatry. They would not turn. They would not come back. 
And he says, Judah sat there and watched the whole thing. Look at verse 9. Because she took her whoredom lightly, she polluted the land, committing adultery with stone and tree. Committed adultery with gods made out of stone and wood. That's what that means. They worship stupid rocks and stones. These are people that saw God work miraculous things in their presence. They forgot all that. Down here worshiping rocks and trees. In verse 10, it says, Yet for all this, her sister, her treacherous treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart. Whole heart, notice that. But in pretense, declares the Lord. In other words, to add to the sin of Israel... In Judah, you can just continue to, to kind of add on to those, those sins. You can add hypocrisy. In the northern kingdom of Israel, there really wasn't any true religion left at all. In the south, they still carried on the ritual of the temple because they had Jerusalem there. But it was all hypocritical. Their hearts had grown cold. Look at verse 11. And the Lord said to me, faithless Israel has shown herself more righteous, look at this, than treacherous Judah. Why? Because they had the example. All they had to do is look at Israel and say, okay, they're doing this. God doesn't like it. Look at the consequences. We don't want to do that. But see, that's the deceptive nature of sin, isn't it? I mean, how many times do you have to read in the paper or watch on the news? Someone was arrested for Pornography, or somebody was divorced because of pornography, or somebody was whatever. Relationship was disrupted because there was an addiction to pornography. And yet, we know what the consequences are. It's pretty clear. And yet, major amount of people deal with that issue every day. Why? Because they don't learn. They, don't, they, don't look, they look at somehow and they think somehow they're going to get away with it. Somehow they're going to be the exception to the rule. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. I was listening to a talk show the other day on the Christian radio and they were talking to a lady and she was talking about, yeah, I, was, I think she was single and she was in an office and she got involved with a boss, I guess it was. I just heard bits and pieces of it. And the guy was asking her, didn't you know this was wrong? I mean, he's a married man. What, what are you thinking? She says, yeah, I just didn't think of it at the time. I just thought we, it would be okay. You know, I felt sorry for him. And, you know, it just went on. And, on. and I'm thinking, wow. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that you shouldn't be sleeping with somebody other than your own wife. I mean, what, do we, what kind of world do we live in today? I mean, when you have politicians exposing themselves, taking pictures, and putting it on Twitter. And these are bright, brilliant people, very gifted. And you wonder, what are they thinking? <laughs> really? I mean, do you think really that nobody would notice? That as a senator or as a congressman, you, maybe you shouldn't be doing that kind of behavior? We have examples all over about the consequences of sin. And yet, so many times, as I said last week, our attitude is not so much, whoa, I need to stay away from that. Our attitude is, how close can I get? I want to get right up to the edge. Because I think somehow I'm going to be the exception to the rule. 
And you can take, it doesn't matter whether you're talking about pornography, it doesn't matter whether you're talking about drinking alcohol, hanging with the wrong crowd, it doesn't matter. Our attitude about that should be to run as far away from that stuff as we can. Sounds kind of narrow-minded, but man, I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that those things are bad. A lot of the problems with our society are a result of those things. Well, you know, Jesus drank. The disciples drank. Wine. Beloved, if you honestly think that Jesus and the disciples drank the same kind of wine that's available to us today, I don't know what you're thinking. It's not the case. Or we'd have a drunk Jesus and a drunk bunch of disciples because they always drank wine. It's a different society we live in and somehow we find ways of compromising certain things that God says, you know what? Be careful. I'm giving you examples all over the place. Don't ignore it. Don't ignore what God did in judgment. He's telling Judah to Israel. I mean, how did they ever get to this point? Look at verse 20, Jeremiah 3.20. Surely as a treacherous wife leaves her husband, so have you been treacherous to me, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. And a voice of the bar heights is heard. Bar heights is heard. The weeping and pleading of Israel's sons because they have perverted their way. They have forgotten what? The Lord their God. They have perverted their way. They have forgotten the Lord their God. That's their whole problem right there. That's the problem with a lot of struggling Christians. They have forgotten the Lord their God. And if you continue to read, we're not going to do it this morning through the end of chapter 3 and chapter 4. You'll find the main part of the nation never even bothered to respond to what the prophet Jeremiah was saying. Because they thought, you know what? I'm the exception to the rule. And ultimately, they too were taken right into captivity. But the whole point here is in verse 21. They forgot the Lord their God. I mean, how can you possibly forget that? I mean, when you go back and you itemize what God has done for his people in this situation, in this text, how could they possibly forget it? It's hard to understand. And yet, I think the Bible tells us. I mean, can you, as a Christian, honestly sit here today in your right mind and say, well, I guess I could get to a point where I just forget about God. You you would say, no, I, I don't think I would go that far. You know what? Be careful. That's exactly what they thought. That's exactly what they thought. They thought somehow they were the exception to the rule. And I think it's so important for us to understand when it comes to God's rules and God's laws, there are no exceptions. There just aren't. And the whole gist of Jeremiah is based on their disobedience. Look back at chapter 2, verse 32. He says, yet my people have what? Forgotten me days without number. Jump ahead to chapter 13, verse 25. This is your lot. The portion I have measured out to you, declares the Lord, because you have forgotten me and trusted in lies. Back in chapter 18, verse 15. My people have forgotten me. They make offerings to false gods. He's still calling them his people. But they've forgotten who he was. Chapter 23, verse 26. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart? Verse 27 of 23 says, Who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. 
And you go all the way to the very end of Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 6. It's the same thing. It's the same story through the whole book. It says, my people have been lost sheep. <clears throat> Their shepherds have led them astray, turning them away on the mountains. From mountain to hill they have gone. They have forgotten their resting place or their fold. Even Ezekiel saw it in Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 12. He says that you have forgotten me, says the Lord your God. In Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, my people are destroyed because lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God... I will forget your children. And the greatest chapter probably in all the Bible that speaks about remembering or forgetting is over in Psalm 119. You can just turn over there quickly. Psalm 119. Just going to go through this real rapid fire. Psalm 119, look at verse 16. I will not forget thy word. Look at verse 83. Psalm 119, 83. Yet do I not forget thy statutes. Verse 93, I will never forget thy precepts. Verse 109, I do not forget thy law. Verse 41, or 141, I do not forget thy precepts. Verse 153, I do not forget thy law. And the last verse, I do not forget your commandments. See, there's an importance, there's a premium by God set on remembering certain things. And we can't grow so comfortable in our Christian Lives that unless someone's preaching something new, we're not interested. Sometimes we need to go over the old stuff. Sometimes we need to be reminded of things. Well, what are some keys to remembering things? What are some keys to help our memory bank work and function in a way that would glorify and honor God? Well, first of all, And he touched on it there in Jeremiah about the shepherds leading them astray. But first of all, it goes right back to 2 Peter and 2 Timothy, where it talks about avoiding false teachers. Avoiding false teachers. It's so important that we understand that that is an important issue within the church. You know, when you talk to different people within the church and sometimes you you have to preach against certain errors or whatever, I get this from people all the time. Well, I just think you're too narrow-minded. I think that God's bigger than all that. I think that you're just focusing on too narrow-minded doctrine, doctrinal things, and maybe you should lay off the doctrine because doctrine is divisive. What are they thinking? I heard one one person tell me one time, well, in our church, you know, we don't talk a lot about theology because it's divisive. I wanted to say, do you know what theology is? Theology is the study of God. So you don't want to talk about God because it's divisive, but you go to church. You know, figure that one out. Sometimes it just gets so irritating to try to dice and slice and make everybody happy. I don't think we're called to do that, beloved. I think we're called to go to this book and say, here's what it says. Here's what we understand the word of God to say. I'm not going to focus on what it doesn't say or what it might say or maybe what it could say. I mean, somebody asked me the other day about Calvinism. Calvinism is a system of beliefs that basically talks about the doctrines of grace and puts it all on God. That we don't have anything to do with our salvation. We're, We're sovereignly chosen by God. That we will be saved no matter what. We can't unsave ourselves. And they said, well... 
And there's, there's five points of Calvinism. Tulip is the thing, and you can do your own study on that. We're not going to get into all that today. But people make divisions in the church by saying, well, how many points of Calvinism do you believe? Do you believe all five points, or do you just believe three or two? Or... And I said, look, first of all, I don't call myself a Calvinist. I'm a Biblicist. Whatever the Bible says, that's what I want to believe. Do I agree with Calvinism? Yes, I do, because I find it in the Bible, all over the place. And to be honest with you, I don't think you can be just a one or two or three or four point Calvinist. Either you take the whole thing or you walk away from the whole thing. Because either God is completely sovereign in our salvation or we are. There's no middle ground there. And I thought, you know, sometimes we shy away from discussions like that because even though the word of God teaches certain things, because we don't want to be, quote, divisive. We don't want to narrow the net we're trying to throw out to the community. We need to avoid false teachers. That's why in 2 Timothy chapter 15, he says, you know what? If you avoid false teachers, he says there in verse 15, 2 Timothy chapter 2, do your best to present yourselves to God as a approved, a worker who needs not to be ashamed, rightly handling the what? Word of truth, not the word of truths, plural, the word of truth. Verse 16, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. Look at what it says, verse 18, who have what? Swerved from the truth. Wow, Timothy, you were saying there's a, there's a way that you need to be on, and it's not this broad way? That's exactly what he's saying. They swerved from the truth. And the error that they were coming up with was it says that they said that the resurrection had already happened. It says that they are upsetting the faith of some. And down in verse 21 it says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, this false teaching, he will be, what? A vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful for the master, ready for every good work. That's the goal of every Christian, that we should be used as a vessel honorably, Set apart as holy, useful to our master for every good work. We shouldn't be trying to throw stuff in the vessel that has an adverse effect on that goal. We shouldn't be trying to figure out how close to sin we can get before it taints us. That's just not what we're called to do. The Bible over and over again says, flee, flee, run as far away as you can. Avoid false teachers. I was flipping through the channels the other day and saw that... uh, Evangelist by the name of Todd Bentley is back at it over in South Africa. He's the guy that was in charge of the whole thing back down in, I think it was Lakeland, Florida, several years ago where he talks about fire, fire, fire. Do you feel the fire? He's punching people and slapping people and all sorts of things in the name of Christ, claiming healings here and there. I watched it. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't get my mind around it. I mean, there's people flailing on the floors. There's, there's people screaming and assistant. He's just weird himself. And I thought, man, what, what, what draws people to this stuff? It's an illusion. I believe if we avoid the false and we let the true, we absorb ourselves with the truth constantly, that's how it'll help us remember some of these basic things we won't forget so quickly. 
Well, it's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come out and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m., and we offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children through grade 5. If you'd like to encourage us here at the Graceful Truth Program, give us a call at the Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. 650-366-9923, or visit our website, gracefultruth.org. And now, to close out our time together with a look at our fall schedule, once again, here's Pastor Steve Converse. Thanks, Andy. I'd just like to share a few brief thoughts with our listening audience concerning some upcoming events here at Grace Bible Church, Redwood City. Most people are familiar with American pastor Zaid Abedini, who is being held in an Iranian prison due to his faith in Christ. We will be hosting Pastor Zaid's wife, Nagme, on Saturday, November 16th at 10 a.m., where she will be sharing her testimony of how her and her children are getting through this tremendous ordeal and how God continues to work in spite of her husband's persecution and imprisonment. Coming to Grace Bible Church, Redwood City, on Saturday, November 16th at 10 a.m., that's Nagme Abedini, Pastor Zaid's wife, to share her testimony. Well, once again, we want to thank you for listening to Graceful Truth each weekend, and it would be a wonderful encouragement to us to hear from you about how this program has been a blessing to your hearts. Please contact us on the web at gracefultruth.org, that's gracefultruth.org, or simply call us at 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. Thank you, Steve. And again, friend, we'd love to hear from you. So call us today, 650-366-9923, or write to us, 2225 Euclid Avenue, Redwood City, 94061 is our zip code. Until next time, God bless.